Hello and welcome. Uh, my name is Michael Kern, the publisher of the Ottawa Business Journal. Thank you very much for joining us in such great numbers. Uh, today's broadcast is part of a larger effort from the Ottawa Business Journal to provide vital information uh, to local business leaders in this unprecedented health and economic uh, crisis. Uh, I was doing a quick count on the obj.ca website last night. Uh, our great editorial team has provided about 110 local business articles uh, so far on what's happening uh, in our great city as we uh, deal with this. Also, um, today is part of what we're calling the Coping with COVID-19 podcast. Uh, there are almost 20 episodes of, uh, of these podcasts available on the OBJ uh, YouTube channel. And uh, today is a little bit different, of course, because uh, we are uh, live and interactive, taking your questions. So we're very happy to, uh, to have you uh, on board with us today. Um, just as we kick off here, I'm going to uh, uh, look at today's agenda. As you can see here on screen, uh, we'll do some introductions in just a second. Uh, we'll deal with our first topic, which is what to consider before recalling employees. Uh, topic number two, health and safety concerns, uh, dealing with family uh, considerations, and then we'll have uh, some of your Q&A. So there's two ways we're interacting with you today. Some of our uh, some of our uh, some of our participants today submitted questions uh, in advance, and those will be factored into uh, today's agenda. And then you can use the Q and A function uh, at the bottom of your screen, and uh, we'll get your questions. So right now, I'm going to introduce uh, both of our guests. First, we're just enabling their cameras here. All right, so JD, you should be coming on screen here. So as those uh, as that fires up, there's so many different uh, facets of return to work. Today, we're particularly focusing on the legalities of uh, dealing uh, with the return to work. I know when we're talking to local business leaders, it's often those legal questions that come to the forefront. So let, let me introduce our legal expert today, JD Sharp, a partner at Emo Harnden LLP. Uh, 22 years as an employment lawyer. That's a big number, JD. And Emil uh, Harnden, if you don't know, is uh, one of Canada's largest boutique labor and management um, uh, employment law firms uh, representing exclusively management. So you business owners and managers out there will be comfortable with the answers. Welcome, JD. Thank you very much, Michael. Uh, great to have you here and great to have um, Emo Harnden LLP supporting us as a sponsor in this. And uh, next, uh, certainly not least, uh, Peter Cabessi, who's been covering uh, the city's business community with the Ottawa Business Journal for almost 15 years. Hello, Peter. Hi, Mike. Uh, so Peter's playing a special role. He'll be kind of our interactive guy, uh, meaning that he's going to be walking us through some interactive polls and also doing uh, moderating the Q&A. So, J.D., let's get right down into this and let's set the uh, context. You've been uh, operating as an employment lawyer for 22 years. Certainly, we have never seen a context like we're seeing today. I mean, uh, you know, what happened in mid-March uh, was an unmitigated crisis for local business owners. And it, uh, it, it, it allowed them to focus or forced them to focus on employment law. Just give us a sense of what, what you're hearing from your clients these days how much of an issue this is. 
Yeah, I think it's a, I mean, certainly it's been unprecedented for many businesses. There are some businesses in certain sectors that are built for scaling up and scaling down. You know, in the manufacturing sector, for example, they have ebbs and flows in their demand and they're used to laying off and recalling and they do these things very frequently. But there's many, many businesses obviously that have been affected by this that have just never been through this type of cycle and have never faced those prospects before and all of the things that go along with it from, uh, from a business planning standpoint, from a human resources standpoint. So it's been a real confluence of circumstances that I think have made it very difficult for a number of businesses to cope. And obviously, um, the challenge is just your business survival um, with what's going on. Yeah, it, there are so many issues, and it speaks to why uh, almost 300 people have joined us here online. JD, we're going to get down to our first topic, uh, one of three topics we're dealing with today. And this topic is really a centered uh, around laying, uh, calling, excuse me, laid off workers. So uh, as we all know, the restrictions on businesses are slowly being rolled back. And this will undoubtedly, JD, mean that many business owners and operators are considering right now uh, recalling laid off employees. So the first topic really goes to you is what should employers consider before recalling those employees? And what does a process of recalling people look like from an employment law perspective? Yeah, I mean, and the very first part of this topic um, about who to recall and determining your operational and associated labor needs um, obviously is within the particular expertise of the uh, businesses themselves. And I certainly wouldn't propose to uh, lecture them on how to restart their business because they know that infinitely better than I do. Uh, but some of the concerns they need to take into account, obviously the first thing they have to determine is how many are they recalling? What, what level of recall do they need to do? Do they need to recall everybody right now? Are they gonna phase it in? Are they gonna recall a certain number and see how things go? Um, they have to consider and will consider skills mix. Um, you know, you may not need five people in your shipping and receiving anymore. Maybe you need more with increased, uh, increased shipping uh, instead of storefront type activities. So you've got to consider your skills mix. And then you have to consider the issues about the risks with recall. And we'll talk about these a little bit more in a moment in terms of if you only recall 50% of your workforce, what does that mean for the other 50%? Is that if it's a phased recall, it might not be as big of an issue. If it's a recall of 50% and you don't do anything with the other 50%, we may be starting to talk about constructive dismissal issues, which I'll get to as well. You want to be aware of any collective agreement requirements in a unionized environment. They may uh, require recall by seniority, but most of those uh, recall issues also have the ability to recall those with certain qualifications that you need. So that again gets into the skills mix type of issue. Um, then we look at for example, notice of recall, and this is simply the physical act of sending your employees a letter or an email or whatever it is to advise them. Again, there may be employment agreement or collective agreement requirements for how you do this from a process standpoint, but you'll want to give them a firm recall date, the work location to which they're being recalled. And if there are any adjustments to working conditions that they need to be aware of, you're going to walk them through some of those things. Not major, you know, if you're making major restructuring, I don't think you'd put that in a recall, but if you're telling people this is how you're going to return to work, this is the door you're going to return to because that's where we have our screening procedures set up and our, our health and safety necessities set up. Um, and that's gonna go along I think as well in your recall notices. You're gonna to wanna to have proactive communication of health and safety measures that are being taken um, and the expectations because that will help employees I think in some ways obviously alleviate um, some anxiety and stress about the return and what that's gonna mean for their health and safety. It may also help alleviate the business's problems and possible objections to returning to work. 
because employees may think you haven't done the things you need to do from a health and safety perspective. So those are all things to consider and to uh, consider including it in your recall uh, notices, et cetera. That's a, that's a great way to kick off. Uh, go, please go ahead, J.D. And I was just going to say some of the unresolved issues that we don't really have a clear picture of yet is what is it going to mean for constructive dismissal type actions and notices mm -hmm. if you only recall 50%? And you have to consider who you recall. If, for example, a business only recalled um, all of their employees who were less than two years service and under 30 years of age, now you might be bringing in human rights concerns as well. Yes. So there's, yeah. there's a lot of things that need to factor into that consideration and decision. Yeah. So many uh, issues to dig into there. We're, we're going to go to our uh, first poll right now. So I'll have that uh, coming up on screen. So, Mike, our first poll question sort of sets up some of the uh, the topics we're going to be diving into in uh, just just a moment. So, what we'd like to hear from uh, our audience is, what do you anticipate will be the main concern of employees being recall, recalled uh, to work or back to the office? So, we'll leave that up Let's for about thirty more seconds. Yeah, yeah, we're getting polls. Whoa, we're getting the votes pouring in here by the dozens, guys. And uh, I'll share the results. Just we'll maybe give people another ten seconds or so. All right, looks like we're slowing down to a bit of a trickle, so I'll, well, it's just a few more votes, okay. I'll give it the countdown, three, two, one, there we go. So we'll share the results. Okay, health, health and safety issues. And so that's going to be the uh, the uh, the next topic that uh, they're going to pick uh, JD's brain on. Uh, but but before we get into that, uh, I'd like to to pose uh, one of the questions that we received uh, ahead of uh, today's today's webinar. Uh, it comes from the operator of a private healthcare clinic uh, who had to temporarily lay off five employees. As this business owner looks to reopen, they're also looking at really restructuring their uh, their business model. JD. Can an employer change the job descriptions of employees as they're being recalled? Certainly you can. Um, there's risks associated depending on the degree and magnitude of the changes that you do impose. Um, you know, minor changes um, to work location, for example, things like that may not uh, trigger anything and, and may be fine. Uh, major changes, you know, like compensation or to job duties or, or level within the organization, for example, uh, may trigger a constructive dismissal action. And those are some of the risks that um, have to be assessed as you make these decisions on the changes, whether the magnitude of the change you're making might bring you into that risk area. All right, well, let's go on. As Peter, you just indicated, and our poll respondents are really interested in uh, some of the health and safety concerns. So let's move on to topic number two, which again is health and safety concerns. So of course, JD, the reopening of businesses and asking uh, employees to physically be present in our offices uh, or stores has the risk, uh, carries the risk of exposing them to COVID-19. So tell us a little bit about the considerations that employers should have, JD, on a health and safety concern from, a, again, a legal, a uh, employment law perspective. Absolutely. I mean, obviously what you want to do as an employer at the outset is make sure you've reviewed all the public health um, requirements you want to make sure that if there's PPE, you know, mask requirements, et cetera, that are in place, you want to respect those um, social distancing. And a lot of these things you want to have thought through and be able to explain, obviously, to your employees as well. Um, when questions inevitably arise, am I going to be safe when I return to the workplace? What have you done? 
So a lot of it is a communication piece in the background. Obviously, you have to be paying attention to the government guidelines, the public health guidelines, um, because the type of thing that you're going to see, uh, and we talk about work refusals here, um, the type of thing that you're going to see is you may see um, work refusals that engage the Occupational Health and Safety Act, for example, somebody saying, I don't believe it's safe in this workplace right now due to COVID-19. And so then you're going to institute the necessary protocols arising out of the Occupational Health and Safety Act. You're going to conduct your own investigation. You're going to interview the employee. You're going to pin them to the nature of their concerns and you're going to investigate those concerns. If you remedy those issues right there, then it's not an issue any further. If the employee still refuses to work, you will then go into uh, calling in a Ministry of Labor inspector to resolve that and get a direction, get an order if, if one's necessary, and then you'll remedy that. And again, you're trying as an employer to take away any of these health and safety uh, based refusals or based concerns so that you clear the decks for that return. But you're also going to have potential other health concerns and other concerns related to COVID. You're going to have employees who are worried about coming back to work and maybe bringing something back into their home where they may have young children, they may have an elderly parent, they may have somebody who's immunocompromised, for example, as a result of, of cancer treatments. So there's any number of those types of factors that may come into it as well. And you'll need to, you'll need to deal with these. You, you can't give a black and white answer that's good in all circumstances. You're gonna have to consider the nuances of the issue and you're gonna have to look at whether that might mean that the employee can't come to work right now and they may be put on a, you know, they may be seeking a declared emergency leave under the Revised Employment Standards Act. That may not be a paid leave, depending on your collective agreement, your employment agreement, whatever you have in place, but it may be a job protected leave, meaning you certainly can't take any action if they refuse for those legitimate reasons to come back in. So you're going to have to monitor those things as well. And you're going to have to, uh, in my view, you're also some of these businesses are going to have to start looking at being a little tough on customers too. If customers aren't respecting some of these social distancing issues, um, you might be in a situation of placing your employees at risk by not enforcing that on customers. I think a few weeks ago, we saw that down in the United States, the ice cream shop that opened and everybody crowded around while they were yeah. trying to get them to observe social distancing. And so the ice cream shop just shut down. So you may have some of those issues. And I know, you know, retailers are, are exploring what you do about trying on a garment and then what you do with that garment after. So there's all those things that they have to work, work through and think their way through. So that gets you through some of the work refusals processes. And it, the main thing is to have the conversation with the employee, understand the nature of their concerns and then what that triggers for you. Does that trigger bringing in an Occupational Health and Safety Act formalized process? Does it mean just you know, comforting them and giving them some background information so that they're a little more comfortable with what's going on and how it's going on? Um, if the employee, you know, in, in an extreme circumstance, if an employee contracts uh, COVID, um, you know, one of the first things that's going to come up is, is this a work-related illness? Um, so you may have WSIB issues. You may have to file a Form 7 with the WSIB to, to account for those things. What will happen downstream from that, obviously, is not up to you. The WSIB will review it um, and try and determine if it's truly work-related. And one of the issues with COVID is it's going to be a causation issue um, from a determination standpoint you're going to be looking at, did the person get it in the workplace? So maybe we had an outbreak in a long-term care facility. Well, that's certainly going to make it far more likely um, that you're talking about potentially a work-related issue, as opposed to the fact that, you know, if it's you're traveling to and from work on public transit, you went to the grocery store on your way home that day as well, causation is going to be a much more difficult issue. But the main thing, obviously, is if you believe it's work-related or if it's reported to you that way, you file your form seven and move on. 
And then you have a response plan because obviously if you had somebody who says they think they got COVID in the workplace, you've got to look at sanitizing the workplace. You've got to look at, again, taking those health and safety measures and communicating them to your employees to make sure they have that comfort level as well. And you don't get all those, um, those kind of pushback and, and issues with that. It, it, it almost sounds there, as you indicated a couple of times, that you're going to have to react to what happens, right? So it's yes. going to lead you down a different path according to whether someone contracts it, what their specific concern is, you know, whether or not they have uh, an elderly or immunocompromised person in uh, in their workplace. So a little bit of this has to be reactive, not that you don't want to think this through in advance, but yeah. you will have to stay on your toes. Absolutely. You're going to have some of these things planned and in place. And like all good plans, um, you know, Mike Tyson said, uh, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you'll have something you have to react to. Um, yeah. And you'll have something that kind of hits you from a different angle that you haven't considered. And that's where you're going to need to uh, to consider those issues. And, and I think one of the things that we're counseling a lot of employers to do is to be flexible and to, you know, the normal reaction that you might have in a normal time in a normal situation, you might have to temper that somewhat just to make sure that you are factoring in all these other things that are brought about and slightly different because of COVID. So listen, we're going to go to our poll, Peter, I'm going to queue it up and put it on screen. So here you go. So we spent the last few minutes talking about uh, different parts of reopening um, the office. Something I'm really curious uh, about is when do you believe that the majority of employees at your business organization will be returning to the office or will be returning to your place of business? And just a reminder, as everyone is is voting, that uh, we do um, have a, some time set aside at the end for uh, uh, more questions for for JD. So please do use the uh, the Q and A function at the at the bottom to uh, to submit the questions that are uh, coming to mind. So once again, the the questions or the answers, excuse me, are coming in fast and furious, increasing almost by the dozens here. We'll give people about ten more seconds. So count down, and see what these uh, these results look like. Here's a little bit of a hint. It might be a few months ahead of us. All right, so we'll go three, two, one. And there are the results. Fall. Okay, so it's going to be a quiet summer. <laughs> I, I guess that means I'm going to be in my basement office near the kitty litter for quite some time then, aren't I? Yeah, 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 that's great. Listen, we're, we're doing great on time. As Peter indicated, keep on uh, submitting your uh, Q&A because we're going to be going to that in just a second. In fact, we're dealing with our third and final uh, topic, which um, involves family considerations. So here we go, JD. Uh, and as I mentioned uh, before, there are now, as of yesterday, think about this. There are 2 million Ontario students who will not be returning to work until September. So uh, if there is, and there is no magic solution, of course, uh, to uh, put all these kids in, in uh, daycare or childcare, uh, which means inevitably they will be uh, in their homes, likely with their parents, uh, which brings up all sorts of difficult questions from an employment law perspective, J.D. I mean, parents really are in, to some degree, between a rock and a hard place. You oh, know, they, they need to provide primary care for their children and and maybe even teach them uh, a thing or two when they're not on their on their uh, PlayStation or whatever. Uh, but the but also those parents need to be working. So uh, JD, give us yeah. a sense of uh, of this the sense of I guess the word you use often is accommodation. How do we 
accommodate yeah. employees, especially parents. Well, and I think a lot of businesses obviously have learned a lot about their capacity and capability to do remote work during this time. Um, so I think we'll probably see some of those issues extended and those conversations um, continued in terms of how much remote, remote work can we do. And ultimately, for the employer, um, there can be an end to remote work because, you know, it's got to be productive work. It's got to be useful to the organization as well. So there may be some issues with uh, considering remote work, considering how maybe they, they expand it, uh, how they protect it, how they offer it selectively to those who really need it and bring others back in. And again, you're going to have those um, discussions and you're going to have to examine them on a case by case basis. And I'll get to the accommodation piece in a minute. And that's where you'll be in a much more formalized process, potentially. Um, there's also the issue of statutory leaves. So, for example, somebody who's been working remotely and you say, OK, time to come back. And they say, but I've got somebody in my you know, home again who's immunocompromised or something like that. We may then be looking at the declared emergency type leaves. But I think the vast majority of the type of issues that we're going to see is more along the lines of a human right to do you to accommodate on the basis of family status. And we've already had those issues um, pre-COVID in terms of people indicating that you know, they can't make childcare arrangements on a shift change or something like that. So there's, there's a bit of a path there already that we understand, but the legal tests themselves are still kind of evolving um, as the case law proceeds. So to say there's a hard and fast test that's been set out by the Supreme Court and everyone's following it is not entirely accurate. Okay. We do know that you know, you're looking at issues such as whether we're talking about engaging a legal responsibility of the parent, for example, being at home with a five-year-old, um, both parents can't just up and walk out of the house and leave the five-year-old at home. Yeah, yeah. Although it would certainly be an interesting return to the home. I would <laughs> yeah, that not recommend it, please. No, I probably not. No. Um, but also, you know, what, what types of uh, elements of the parent-child relationship need to be protected in that regard. Um, so again, you're going to be looking at this on a case by case basis. You're going to be looking at things and these accommodation issues are very difficult from a legal standpoint in terms of litigating them and, and defending them on behalf of employers, because very, a lot of it goes into like what efforts did the parent make to secure other childcare? Did they, did they look to family members? Did they canvas various daycares? Um, and, you know, and then we're, we're also talking about your children and who you trust your children with. Um, so there's, there's elements there that are a little more complex perhaps and difficult to deal with for employers um, than in a standard do-do to accommodate case because there's, there's elements there of the parent-child relationship that have to be respected or at least are going to be debated. Um, so you're going to have some of those issues and you have to look at things like, did you have three months to arrange for childcare or did you have three days? You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's very, very much of a difference in terms of how that response might be. Um, so context is going to be key. You're going to have to understand the individual circumstances. And they may be telling you, look, I need a week to get things settled and set up. Um, and in that case, I'm certainly going to advise you, yeah, be some, somewhat flexible there and give them that try and see what happens. Or someone's going to say, no, I really don't see me being able to return until uh, school kicks in in September, period. Well, didn't they have to deal with summer vacation before? So yeah. you're going to have some of those conversations going back and forth. And again, you're going to be, um, you know, examining all those elements. Can the spouse provide care? Do the, do the two spouses work alternating shifts or can they work, you know, alternating from home? And there's going to have to be some flexibility on the part of employees as well, because remembering that the downstream impact to an employee who says, I simply can't do this, if they can't work from home and provide useful work remotely, then they may be off on, with, on leave without pay. 
And it's funny how many times when somebody's off on leave without pay, how some of their accommodation demands change. So that's, you know, those are all the give and take elements that are going to come into the accommodation piece of this as well that have to be considered. And, uh, you know, you still have as an employer, the element of undue hardship as a defense. You are not required to pay somebody to not produce productive work. So just because you tell me you can't come into the office because of your childcare obligations, as legitimate as those may be, that doesn't also guarantee you a paycheck. So again, you have to look at, you know, and, and employers, again, are going to have to be flexible and, and uh, understanding, but employees are also going to have to consider the things that they can do to maintain their employment as well. And, and I think with the job market that everyone's going to be facing uh, when yeah. we pull out of this, I think it's going to be in everybody's best interest to try and find those, those middle grounds to try and accommodate this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I really like the point on um, flexibility on both sides. Here, Peter, we're going to have uh, our uh, final uh, poll coming on screen here. So our, for our uh, final poll question, we want to hear from our audience about their strategies for uh, how they're going to, to handle the issues that JD was just, uh, just talking about. How um, will you balance uh, both family and work obligations uh, this summer? Yeah, you know, we were just talking, JD, about that degree of flexibility, and these are all instances of it, you know, right? Adjusting your work hours, uh, finding alternative uh, childcare arrangements, uh, continued juggle. Uh, that one would just be kind of making a uh, uh, making a lemonade from lemons. Uh, that one. So, and that's and that's where the communication piece, I think, between the employer and the employee is valuable because you may have thirty percent of your employees who want to take a leave of absence until September, and you find that your business is down thirty percent. You have thirty percent less need for employees. Well, that seems like a marriage made in heaven, you know. But again, you've got skills mix issues and things you have to deal with. So that's where the creativity and the knowledge of your business and your employee group and the communication I think is going to be a key factor because if you can find those combinations and say, you want to be off and I need somebody to be off. Well then let's work on it. Yeah. And there you go. There's the result there, Peter. And they're yeah. going to work on one to find a flexible solution, which is exactly, you know, which is exactly what I recommend because you may find you can put away 50%, 80% of your problems, through that before you have to deal with the one employee who won't or the, you know, um, those are the types of things I think you can do go a long way to, to adjusting. Let's get some more uh, participant questions in here, Peter. Yeah. So JD, we received uh, several variations of this question. I'm going to sort of summarize it uh, like, like this. What happens if an employer has done everything they can to ensure a safe workplace? So, you know, provided PPE where appropriate, you know, be it physical guards, and an employee still refuses to come to work, citing concerns uh, about their safety with COVID-19. What is the next step for an employer in that case? Well, ultimately, I mean, if you've satisfied all the concerns, you've dealt with the Occupational Health and Safety Act and all those types of things that are potentially there, um, you know, and I can't say any of this without risk, but certainly from an employer perspective, you start making the consequences clear to the employee. I need you back to work on Monday at 9 a.m. If you do not show up, you may take the position they, they've been deemed to have abandoned their employment or resigned. Um, you know, you may give them a, another deadline and you may be a little flexible with that. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if they're refusing to come to work, um, you know, you may be reporting to the government from an EI perspective or one of the subsidies if, if those are still in place at the time. You may be reporting, I have work for this individual and they are not reporting to work. 
So that may affect the employee's EI. It may affect any subsidies they're entitled to as well. And that pressure may also lead to it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, if an employee refuses to show up for work when you've got work, there are risks, as I say, from the Occupational Health and Safety Act perspective, you might get a reprisal complaint that you terminate them because they exercise their right to refuse. But again, that's why you will want to have taken care of all those steps and gone through the process first. And then you can establish, no, those concerns weren't legitimate anymore. And so now the employee is just not returning to work. So you do have options available to you. You do have the ability to control it to some extent. Can't say it's without risk, but obviously at some point in time, um, if you need somebody to come back to work and they're on your payroll, tell them to come back to work and tell them what the consequences are of not doing so. Here you another one uh, likely? Yeah, yeah. Um, again, this is one we got several questions uh, on, on this one. They all sort of sent around, what can an employer do to prevent the virus come from entering the workplace? So in an effort to create a health and safe, uh, health and safe work, workplace, how far can an employer go to make sure that uh, none of their, uh, their employees uh, bring, uh, bring COVID-19 uh, into the office? Yeah, I mean, absent, you know, absent a, a, a great, you know, a scanner that you can put people through that tells you if they've got it or they don't, all you can do is obviously take all the precautions in the workplace that you can. Um, we do know of some employers that are doing uh, temperature screening on the way in. And, you know, in general terms, uh, in normal times, we might tell employees that's a bit of a risk from a privacy and uh, human rights perspective. But again, you're balancing the, now you're balancing the health and safety of the whole workplace um, with one person's, you know, right to maybe not take a scan, you might take a more aggressive approach on something like that and say, well, if you don't submit to the scan, you're not coming through the door. Um, you know, and those are going to be some of the tougher issues that employers have to deal with because there's no magic bullet that, that tells you, you know, there's no little sign that says I've got it or I don't have it. Um, so you're going to have to search for some of those things, take all the precautions you can, and then in some cases like that, make tough decisions on whether you're going to implement that type of screening especially given the fact that even that's not the be all and end all in terms of telling you that there's a problem. So there's going to be some of those challenges as well. And I think that's what people are, you know, obviously talking about the second wave and those types of issues. Once we start opening us back up, are we creating more of that? Peter, do you have one more or should we, it's a bottom of the hour. So we're going to want to wrap it up in about uh, 60 seconds or two minutes. Do you have one more or should we uh, move yeah. to the conclusion? I'll, I'll, I'll ask one, one more. And okay. this is, uh, JD, have you heard anything about the temporary layoff period being extended in Ontario beyond that's their 13 weeks period? Uh, we've certainly, yeah, we've sent a, a letter to the government outlining our concerns in that regard, um, you know, kind of in more of an advocacy for our, our clients. Um, we haven't seen it come through yet. It's one of those things that could take care of both the temporary layoff pieces and also mm -hmm. If it was extended a little more, it might actually also help on the constructive dismissal side of things. So we're certainly hoping the government does that because otherwise it's going to be left to the courts to uh, to make those determinations. And while we hope the courts also understand the plight of businesses right now and not just employees, um, because there has to be somewhere for those employees to work um, for there to be an economy. Um, we don't know if that's going to occur yet. We certainly hope so. Such a such a giant issue, JD, as you said, because coming out of this, there could be a massive amount of constructive dismissal uh, concerns if the government doesn't take anything to do. So hopefully, they're listening to the wise counsel of people like you. Listen, we're, we've come uh, to the end of the show. So, uh, JD, I want to thank you for doing a great job today. Listen, it's it's very difficult to answer questions on the on the fly about complicated legal issues. 
but you did so with a lot of uh, uh, a lot of grace and a lot of simplicity. So thank you for that. Well, simplicity is my thing, unfortunately, but. Uh... <laughs> But thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. And I guess if I'm a litigator, I better be able to answer questions on the fly. Yeah. And I do know, JD, there are many more questions. So I want to encourage people. We have it on screen right now. If you want to continue to contact JD Sharp, there's his phone number. Uh, there's his email. We'll make that available to you if, uh, if, uh, if someone didn't get that. And as I uh, sign off, uh, I encourage everyone to please stay connected to the various uh, or the latest news and information from obj.ca. Our, our website is updated uh, almost on an hourly basis. That's obj.ca. If you want to get our email newsletters, that's objtoday.ca. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will also find this video in a few hours. Uh, if you do subscribe, press the red button and then the little uh, bell icon to be notified of new uh, videos. And uh, this and other of the podcasts are now available on Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. On behalf of J.D. Sharp from Eamon Harnden, our sponsor today, and Peter Cavesi, thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you, Michael and Peter. Take care. Have a good day. Cheers.